You're listening to The Martial Brain, the podcast that explores the intersection between the martial arts, science, critical thinking, skepticism, and that wacky organ that floats inside our skulls in a pool of cerebral spinal fluid, making life unpredictably inspiring, infuriating, and sometimes just batshit crazy. I'm Jeff Westfall for The Martial Brain. The Forgotten War. The Philippines, the USA, war, colonialism, and the martial arts. Part 24. The Pulahan War, Chapter 3. The Pulahans were to become notorious for suicidal charges against rifle fire. Now, how do you get otherwise practical, salt-of-the-earth farmers to do such a thing? Well, in the grand tradition of con artists everywhere, you take advantage of their lack of education by convincing them that you have secret knowledge and magical powers, and that in return for your magical services, they need to pay you, or join your movement, or charge into gunfire. It has worked for faith healers, spiritual mediums who take grieving people's money to help them communicate with their beloved dead, martial arts masters who claim to manipulate the magical force called chi, or one of my favorites, the Order of Assassins of the Medieval Middle East, who would take an ignorant farm boy or shepherd and use drugs and religious indoctrination to convince him that he needed to become an assassin for the cause in order to go to heaven. Throughout humanity's history, there has never been a shortage of cynical sociopaths waiting for the opportunity to take advantage of desperate and uneducated humans. In the case of the Pulahans, the purported magic was apocalyptically religious in nature. The apocalyptic part means that your spiel to the ignorant farmers includes plenty of references to the fact that the end is near and that you had better punch your spiritual ticket for yourself and your family to assure your place in paradise. As with every Philippine story, the story of religion is complex and layered. The oldest religions in the archipelago were forms of shamanism, in which shamans who were considered highly adept at dealing with spirits and the spirit world acted as intermediaries between the spirits and humans asking favors, interceding with and placating angry spirits, and generally maintaining good relations between the two realms. Women were predominant as shamans, making up the vast majority of them. A smaller number were men, and the majority of that smaller number were feminized, cross-dressing men. It was believed that the spirits preferred to interact with humans that possessed a more feminine energy. Throughout the centuries, shamanism has persisted in the Philippines, but has gradually been moved to the margins. More than a thousand years ago, traders and settlers from South Asia brought Hinduism to the islands. It's mostly gone now, but it definitely left its mark on culture all over the Philippines, as well as the rest of Southeast Asia. One look at monumental architecture in the archipelago, like temples, or at cultural traits like loanwords, or at archaic Filipino alphabets, and the influence of India is obvious. In the Filipino martial arts, a teacher is often referred to as guru. That's from the Sanskrit guru, 
which means teacher. Then in the 13th century, Islam arrived, again from South Asia and Indonesia. It took hold and had much more staying power than had Hinduism, becoming deeply entrenched in the southern and central Philippines by the time of the arrival of the Spanish in the 16th century. Now the Spanish were old hands at fighting Islam, and eventually they pushed the Muslims down into the south, where they remain to this day. Throughout this period, however, the shamanistic religions survived in pockets all over the Philippines, and they still do today, but on a very severely limited basis. Of course, the Spanish conquistadors were accompanied by the Catholic clergy, and missionary work, along with forced conversion, began right away. The Spanish were horrified at the presence of native female spiritual leaders, and even more so by the effeminate transvestite male shamans. These sodomites, heretics, and blasphemers were burned at the stake or buried alive at every opportunity. Throughout the nearly four centuries of Spanish control in the Philippines, upheavals and rebellions by the people against Spanish rule and against the Catholic Church flared up many times. Each time this happened, shamanistic leaders came out of the shadows to help lead the rebellions. Over the centuries, Catholicism took hold more and more extensively, but often with a Filipino flavor that included elements of the old shamanistic religions. Just as in the Caribbean, where African slaves came to identify the Catholic saints with West African deities, leading to the syncretic religions of voodoo and santeria, so in the Philippines, Catholic saints and archangels came to be identified with many of the ancient spirits. The Spanish came to refer to these syncretic religious movements as Dios Dios. They were examples of millennial movements. Millennial cults have happened in nearly every culture throughout history. Encyclopedia.com has an excellent definition of a millennial movement. Quote, Millennialism is often found in the early stages of a religion. A millennial worldview is well-suited to motivating people to convert to completely new religions, accept the spiritual guidance of new teachers, and build new communities. The millennial expectation of an imminent transition to a new order of existence represents a rejection of the status quo, thereby putting millennialists in tension with mainstream society. Unquote. Other examples of millennial cults include the Native American ghost dancers of the late 1800s, early Mormons, and of course the Branch Davidians in Texas. The Pulahans were simply the latest iteration of Dios Dios in the Philippines, and for once their ire was aimed at someone besides the Spanish and the Catholic Church. Their movement stretched across the islands of Samar and Leyte in the central Philippines. There were definitely other guerrilla uprisings by religious movements at this time in the Philippines, but the Pulahans were by far the largest and most successful. And their anger was now aimed squarely at the Americans and at Filipinos who were seen to collaborate with the Americans, especially the police and the constabulary. They were notorious for their headlong suicidal charges directly into rifle fire. As they charged, they waved their heavy, razor-sharp talibongs and screamed their war cry, Tad-Tad, which means chop-chop. Their leaders took to calling themselves Pope, 
which was pronounced in the Philippines as Papa. On the island of Leyte, their pope was Faustino Ablena. He had been arrested by the Spanish two decades before for leading a Dios Dios uprising, and had been imprisoned. Now he was back, leading a new uprising against the Americans. Interestingly, for listeners to this podcast, he was also the Grand Master of the Derobio Escrima style of Filipino martial arts. On the island of Samar, Pope Pablo was a primary spiritual leader. As poor people became more and more dissatisfied with the way things were going after the war, leaders like Pablo and Ablena roamed the countryside, preaching the gospel of rebellion and distributing purported magical charms like protective amulets called anting-anting. Followers were told that these holy accoutrements would protect them from gunfire, but only if they were facing the enemy. The desperately poor people of the central Philippines were trading one exploiter for another, and no violence or sacrifice was beyond the conscience of a Pulahan pope. Remember the words of Voltaire who said, quote, Anyone who can convince you of absurdities can get you to commit atrocities. Unquote. Once a group of Pulahans reached sufficient size, they began to attack police stations and constabulary patrols. They acquired food and supplies by taking them from the local population, telling them that if they too weren't rebels like the Pulahans, then they were collaborators and deserved no food. One example of their behavior occurred in the barrio of Cantaguio. On July 10, 1904, the Pulahans killed the lieutenant of police there, along with several others, before seeking out the town leader, or teniente, who represented the Americans. They took him to the town plaza and fashioned an American flag into a turban on his head. Yeah, you can probably guess where this is going. They soaked the flag with kerosene and ignited it. As he was dying horribly, the Pulahan leader taunted him, saying, quote, Call upon the flag you have adopted to protect you now. Unquote. So the stage is set. The players in place. Next time, I'll tell you about some of the battles in the Pulahan War. Anyway, that's what I think, but I could be wrong. Let me know what you think, and check out old episodes of the Martial Brain Podcast at my website, rpmartialarts.com. I'm Jeff Westfall for the Martial Brain. The Martial Brain is produced by Raging Squirrel Productions in association with the Rising Phoenix Martial Arts Academy. If you like the podcast and would like to help it grow, go to iTunes or Stitcher and give it an honest rating and review. Contact me with questions about the Martial Brain or about the Rising Phoenix Academy at my website, rpmartialarts.com. <laughs>